The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We are in week two of our series in John's Gospel. Um, last week, when uh, when we opened this word, opened this uh, opened this uh, book for the first time, I said that uh, John doesn't let us warm up for his gospel. He doesn't. If you go for a run and you you should go, you should have a stretch or do a bit of a warm up. John doesn't let us warm up. He doesn't give us any any bit of a, any kind of a chance to stretch. He is straight out of the gate. Straight out of the gate. There isn't a ramp at the beginning of John's gospel to kind of get you ready for what he says. It's more like a cliff that you just have to climb. And so we've, we're taking this just a few, a few verses at a time. This morning we're looking at verses 3 to 5. Let me read that for you. It says that all things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. What we saw last week is that John makes some massive, massive claims. The biggest claims you could really make of any kind of person. He claimed that Jesus existed before existence. He claimed that Jesus existed in a time before time, in a place before place. That he in a place before places. He uh, is in eternal relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit, and he is eternally God himself. Jesus is not a creation of God. He is God himself. One of the things that um, is relatively, I think, odd about me or strange about me is that I like helping people move house. Now, just before you go start booking me up for your Saturdays, I don't have every Saturday available, and I should probably clarify what I mean by that. What I mean is, I love packing lots of gear into the back of a truck. I love playing Tetris, I love the satisfying feeling of getting a whole lot of stuff into the back of a truck, especially if it's a bit of a challenge, like if the truck's a bit too small, or if there's a bit too much stuff, I I like that challenge. So that's what I mean by, I like helping people move. A number of years ago, I was actually um, helping a buddy of mine move, and his father-in-law was there. And we brought, all of the, uh, we brought all of their gear out and put it on the driveway while we waited for the truck to show up. And I think it was like a horse float or something. And uh, when, the, when the trailer showed up, his father-in-law, who's a bit of a man's man, he's a, he used to operate mines, so he used to work with diggers and dynamite, like just this real blokey kind of bloke. Um, he looked at all the stuff that we had to put into this trailer, and he was like... There's no way you're going to get that in there. And I said, just give me 30 minutes. And he went inside, he had a cup of tea. When he came out, I'd, I was just closing it. I'd put everything in. And he said, where's all the stuff? And I said, it's all in there. And he couldn't believe it. He was absolutely blown away. And I got like the best man card that day. Like I got all, like, the, all the validation. Like, I used to pay out my friend that his father-in-law loved me more than he loved him because I was so good at packing trailers. Well, like last week, John is going to put me to shame with how much he can pack into these short, simple sentences. He's talking about Jesus. And once again, he's going to use the most wonderful and spectacular language to heighten and to lengthen and to widen and and to deepen our understanding of God. 
He's going to enrich our thoughts about God. He's going to make our thoughts hum and reverberate. And if we are willing, we're going to end our service later on today by exalting God in worship. We're going to sing that song, All Glory Be to Christ. And we're going to sing it loudly because God is a big God. He is a fantastic God and he is worthy of all worship. So let me just pray and commit this time to God and then we'll get into it. Lord, we ask that you would reveal wonderful truths about yourself and your word this morning, that you would open this up, Holy Spirit, so that our eyes could behold your glory and that we could be transformed more and more into the likeness of your Son. And so we commit this to you, Lord. Amen. There are three basic things from this text that teach us about Jesus. Three main points. If you've got one of those uh, journaling Bibles with you, you can write down these three points if you'd like. The first point is this, Jesus is the source of all things. The second point, Jesus is the source of all life. And the third point is that Jesus is the end of darkness. Or if I can summarize it, all of life was created through him. All of life comes from him and the darkness has nothing on him. So let's take a look at verse 3. Jesus is the source of all things. John says in verse 3, All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, when John says all things, he actually means all things. All things were created through Jesus. If we consider the scope of what all things means, that's everything, right? Like there's, we can't, there's nothing outside of all things that we can think of. Everything that we've ever seen and heard and smelt and touched and tasted were created through Jesus. The Glasshouse Mountains, that we can look over at sunset and behold their beauty, created through him. The smell of the ocean, as you draw near to it, is created through him. The sound of kookaburras in the morning, created through him. The swell of the waves and the tide as you swim, and you can feel it pulling you around, created through Jesus. All things have been created through him. One of the things that I find most delightful about creation uh, is seashells. Um, Kids, I bought some seashells today so you can have a look at them. We're not going to pass them around because these are a little bit precious to me. You can have a look with your eyes if you'd like. Uh, When we go walking on the beach, as a family, our favorite shell to collect is the carry shell. And these are some carry shells. These are big carry shells. I actually found both of these. And the first time I found this one at Moffat Beach, snorkeling off Moffat Beach, somebody said to me afterwards, that's a fake. Because it's way too shiny. They don't come that shiny. They need to be polished at least. Maybe it's a real one, but someone's polished it. And I said, well, if someone's polished it, that means that they've polished it and they've thrown it back into the ocean because that's where I found it. And so I was a little bit like, not sure if it was, but then I found this one. It's a bit smaller. It's a bit prettier at Kings Beach just about a month ago. And one of the things that we often ask as a family is, how do they get that shiny? How is it that these shells are that shiny that it looks like they've been polished? Well, I did some research this week, 
And I discovered that these shells are actually formed by a cowrie snail. And the, the thing that's different between a cowrie snail and other ocean gastropods is that a cowrie snail doesn't just live... Gastropod, that's a big word. You didn't think you'd hear that word at church this morning. Um, a cowrie shell doesn't just live inside of its shell. It actually has a body that can come outside of its shell and wrap around. And after it's been knocked around by the ocean or animals have tried to attack it, it can move its body outside of its shell on the outside, run around the outside and repair its shell by, uh, by depositing layer upon layer of tiny flat crystals and polishes it as it goes. And this was created through Jesus. Like, yes, the, the snail can be credited for creating this shell, but it was created through Jesus. I bring this prop in here because the kids are here this morning, but also just for us to just let that just sink deeper into our hearts. All things were created through Jesus. His fingerprint is on all things. And all things exist to glorify him. Kids, if you are doing something at school and you're, you make something, and what does a teacher do? Your teacher gets that thing and she writes your name on the corner of it, right? Say, this was done by this child. So that your parents and your friends can look at that thing and they can say, wow, aren't they amazing? When we look at all things, all created things, we're meant to say, wow, isn't God amazing. All things were created through him. And the Bible tells us that they were created by him and they were created for him, for his glory. That we should look at, at, at shells like that and go, wow, isn't God amazing? The second part of that sentence is a bit of a mind bender. He says, apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, it seems a little bit convoluted, but he's basically making the exact same point, but in reverse. Kind of like if you're mowing and you want to, re, you want to go back over the, the same pass for the second time and catch the blades that you didn't catch the first time. Just in case someone's saying, you know, that if there's an exception to all things, John says, apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Did you know that there are about 100 billion stars in every galaxy? And as a species, we're apparently aware of about 100 million galaxies in existence. And if Einstein was right, and I don't think he was, but if he was right, we've only discovered about a billionth of the known universe. And that means that we're talking about 10 octillion stars, theoretically, in the universe. 10 octillion. Kids, 10 octillion is the number 10 with 27 zeros behind it. So kids, if you want to try writing down the number 10 octillion, it's the number 10 and 27 zeros behind it. That might get you an extra big chuppa-chup. I cannot, I cannot uh, I, I'm, I'm writing checks that Diane's going to have to cash later on. And there's not a speck of dust on those 10 octillion stars that was not created through Jesus. Friends, Jesus is big. God is big. The world will tell us again and again in many different ways that Jesus is a nobody. He's nothing. He's nothing more than a swear word. Our world will try and reduce Jesus down to nothing. But the world is wrong. 
The Bible teaches us that God is the creator of all things, and that includes you and I. He created us. He knows the hairs on our head. We were created through him, and he knows us better than we know ourselves, and we can trust him to handle us. Imagine that you bought yourself a new car, and you started having some problems with this car, and then you discover that your neighbor is a mechanic. And not only is your neighbor a mechanic, but your neighbor specializes in your exact make and model of car. And the reason why he he specializes in your exact make and model of car is because he actually was the designer of your car. And he was actually working in the factory the day your car was made. He remembers your car. He actually delighted over your car. He, He perfected your car. And not only that, but his garage is full of all the spare parts that you would ever need for that car. And he is so eager to help you to repair your car. Wouldn't you trust that neighbor wholeheartedly with your car? When he tells you this is how you should drive it, this is the kind of oil you should use for it, wouldn't you trust him? Wouldn't you go to him for everything? That's what we have with Jesus. That all things were created through him means that we were created through him and we can entrust ourselves to him. He knows where our problems really lie. He knows what is going on for us. So let me ask you, where have you struggled to, to trust Jesus lately? What is an area of your life that you haven't brought to God in prayer because you just don't know that you'll like his answer on it? In what way have you been trying to do things without Jesus? Friends, Jesus is big. All things were created through him and we can trust him. From there, John tells us that in him was life And the life was the light of mankind. This is the second point. Jesus is the source of life. I've been um, a little bit intimidated by this verse all week. Not because it's complex, but just because it's absolutely explosive. I actually considered not looking at uh, verse 6 this week, just to to give us the the right amount of time to to dwell on this. Um, I, I don't think we'll have time, though, but... Life and light are two mega themes in John's Gospel. If you've got one of those uh, journaling Bibles, whether it's ESV or CSB, can I encourage you, every time you see the word life or you see the word light, underline it, highlight it. If you see the word darkness, if you see the word daylight, anything like that, nighttime even, highlight it, underline it. John's telling us a story through these words. The word life is a, is a multifaceted concept in, in John. It occurs something like 35 times in John's gospel. Uh, then the verb form to live is a further 15 times. Some people call John's gospel the gospel of life. Because it basically, basically sums up the reason why John wrote this. He says in, in chapter 20, He wrote this, that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. And since this is the first first, uh, occurrence of this word, we're just going to let this be a little bit of a preview to us. So what does John mean by life? When he says, in him, in Jesus, was life, what does he mean by that? Well, one meaning is physical life. When all things were created through him, we must understand that as the creation of physical life. 
Life came spilling out of God's creative word, God's creative power. Birds chirping, lions roaring, waves crashing. This is dynamic life and it came from within Jesus, bubbling up and spilling over. God gave life to all creatures through Jesus. God gave Adam the breath of life. Physical life comes from Jesus. Another meaning is life to the full. Jesus says in John 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus didn't come to rob us or take from us anything, but to give us life and life in abundance. Our world is obsessed with life, of, of living a life with no regrets, of living uh, the, uh, the this is living Barry kind of life. Jesus comes and says, what you're looking for actually is me. Life to the full. Another meaning of life in John's gospel is eternal life, which is again a loaded term. It does mean, on the one hand, eternal existence, living forever, but it also means, as Jesus actually defines it in John 17, that eternal life is knowing God and the Son, the, 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 the Son that He sent. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they, meaning His disciples, His disciples may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. To have eternal life is to know God the Father and to know his Son who he sent, Jesus Christ, and to have a relationship with him. Eternal life is the promise that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will know God and know his Son whom he has sent and to know him forever. This is an incredible promise. If God is the source of all meaning and all truth and all justice and all joy and all satisfaction and all delight, the promise is that those who believe in Jesus get Jesus. They get to have him. They get to be with him. And of course, there is life in Jesus when he rose from the dead and conquered death. In his resurrection, Jesus killed death. He was hung on a cross and was killed by men who really know how to kill people. He was buried in a tomb, and he remained there for three days. And then Jesus got up, and he walked out of that tomb. He came out brimming with life. And his resurrection paves the way for our own resurrection. He turned death inside out, and he made death serve him. When John says, in him was life, it's one of the most explosive, sweeping, and all-encompassing and staggering statements. True life is found in Jesus Christ alone. He is our creator who gave us life. He is the servant who came to give us abundant life. He is the savior who gives eternal life and he is the redeemer who promises us resurrected life. We could sum up the gospel by saying that true life is found in Jesus Christ alone and he came to give us this, this life, not because we deserved it, but because of his undeserved kindness, his grace. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. There is nothing that we must do to make ourselves worthy of the life that is found in Jesus Christ alone. We must simply come to him with the empty hands of faith and trust in him and cling to him. And that life, says John, was the light of mankind. One of the things that we'll see popping up again and again throughout the Gospel of John is this word, light. 
By my count, it, it occurs something like 24 times over 16 verses in John's Gospel. Light is a big thing. When you go into a room and the room is dark, what do you need? You need to turn on the light. That's the simple and easy understanding of what John is talking about here. And over and over, Jesus says, come to the light and walk in the light so that you won't walk in darkness. In John 11.10, Jesus says, If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. If you are walking in darkness and you can't see, you stumble, you go in the wrong direction. And John is going to tell us that there is no light for us to go by except the true light of Jesus Christ. When John says that the life was the light of mankind, he's saying that Jesus is the one who has shone the light for people to see. He is the one who has made known the way to God. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, you are blind. You will stumble and you will fall and you will never know the way of eternal joy of God unless you come to God in the light of Jesus. Jesus has come as the light to show us the way to God, which is through him. And there is no other way. We cannot obey our way to God. We cannot reason our way, of, our, our way to God. Acts of mercy do not get you to God. You cannot philosophize your way to God. You cannot moralize your way to God. The only way to life is through Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the light of mankind. And if we really consider the ramifications of this, that in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. That's an incredibly offensive message for our world. Jesus' claim is this, without me, you're blind. The claim of the Bible is that if you don't have Jesus, you're blind. But you're not just blind, you're blind to how blind you are. If you're spiritually blind, but you think you have spiritual light, then you're in a very dangerous place. You need to, we need to hear the truth of the gospel, which tells us, actually, we're not okay. We are walking in darkness. Before we know Jesus, we are walking in darkness. It's not a case of, uh, like, we're generally good people, and then there's this little glimmer of light, and that kind of has, is this add-on for us, and we can kind of go after that and everything's all good. No, we are walking in darkness. We loved the darkness even, John's going to tell, Jesus is going to tell us later on. We loved the darkness. But then Jesus entered as the light to show us the way to God. And that light shines, a, shines first and foremost on the glory of God as well as our fallenness, the fact that we're not okay. When I was a kid, uh, my dog Barkley got sick. We went to the vet, and the vet said, no, it's nothing, he's fine, it's just a, bit of, just a bit of sickness, he just needs a bit of medicine. So he gave him the medicine, but then things got worse. We went back to the vet, and uh, this time it was a different vet, and the vet said, he's, he's actually not fine. He's going to die. And I told my mum afterwards that I hated that second vet because I, I, I hated the, the news that he brought. But my mum corrected me. She said, no, it was actually the, the second vet was right. And as painful as it was to hear it, the correct diagnosis prepared us for what was to come. Friends, our world will tell us that we're fine. 
We just need a bit of medicine. All we need to do is look inside of ourselves or believe in ourselves or try and discover our true selves, whatever that means. What we really need is for the Holy Spirit to turn on the light for us so that we can see clearly the reality of our own hearts, that our hearts are dark and we loved the darkness. We loved our sin. We had no desire to worship Jesus. We had no desire to follow him. We rebelled against God. We thought we could sit on his throne. We thought we could remove him from the throne. We thought we could be the king. We thought we could be the sovereign one in charge of our own lives. And we rebelled against God. We railed against God. And then God in his mercy and kindness sent his son just to save us from our sins. And until the Holy Spirit turns on the light for us, we think we're fine living that way. We think that it's normal. But then God, by his great mercy, flicks on the light of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. He shows us that true, uh, true righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone. That we have no hope of removing our sins from us except through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he is the only one who can remove our sins from us and cleanse us of our sins. And we suddenly see how bad things actually are and we come running to God for mercy. Friends, we can't believe in Jesus without repenting. Belief and repentance go hand in hand. They stay together. Friends, we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve, the, we deserve the punishment of God's anger against us, and we have no hope of dodging that on our own. But God sent his Son to shield us from that, to absorb his righteous judgment against our sin, and we are safe only in him. We need to pray more and more that God would shine that light in our lives. Final point is this. Jesus is the end of darkness. John says, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There's a bit of dispute about the best way to interpret that word overcome. It's basically John's way of saying the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had nothing. The darkness is, as I've been saying, blindness to the reality of, us, of our sin, blindness to the beauty of God's grace, blindness to the offer of salvation, and blindness to the goodness of God. Without Jesus, we walk in utter darkness. Without the light shining, we have no idea how lost we are, how beautiful God's grace is, and how generously God gives salvation, how good God is. And that darkness is there because of sin. Sin darkens our eyes and we are unable to behold the glory of God. We can't see it. It is such good news that the light shines in the darkness. Praise God that the light shines in the darkness. Praise God that he didn't keep his distance, but he entered into the darkness. God came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The light entered the darkness and the darkness had nothing but the enemy of God, the one who is called the prince of this world, Satan, he wants our eyes to remain dark. He doesn't want us to have our, lie, our, our eyes open to the glory of God, to see the glory of God. And he will do whatever he can to darken our eyes. He might darken our eyes through immense pain and persecution and sorrow. He might try and darken our eyes through prosperity and through favor and things going our way. He might try and darken our eyes through constant distractions like careers and cars and status or whatever else. 
That's the darkness that John is talking about there. The darkness that threatens our life. And make no mistake, the darkness does threaten our life. This is a matter of life and death. Eternal life and eternal death. And John says, that light shines into the darkness and the darkness has got nothing. The darkness cannot overcome the light. It cannot apprehend the light. It cannot get its grimy fingers around the light. Jesus is the end of darkness. Why? Because he is the light. The light that shines on the real problem of our lives. It diagnoses our sin and draws us to the only possible solution to our sin. And that is Jesus Christ himself. All of life was created through him. All of life comes from him. And the darkness has got nothing on him. And we have the opportunity every Sunday morning as we gather, whenever we're together, to shine that light into one another's lives. To to bring the gospel to bear upon one another's lives. It's why we sing the songs that we do. It's why we pray the prayers that we do. It's why we confess sin and then follow that up with the assurance of salvation from God's word to say, this is the light shining in the darkness. The reason why we sing the songs that we do is because it's not just, when we sing, this is not just me time between me and God. You can do that in your car on the way to church or on the way home from church. When we come to church, we sing these songs so that we are, we're not just singing these songs to God, we are singing these songs about God to one another. And we're here in ourselves, here in one another, sing these songs. We're in each other's lives and when we hear someone else sing, when you see somebody else singing, and raising their voice and praising Almighty God, it's an encouragement to us. Church family, I need you to sing loudly at church on Sundays. I want you to sing loudly at church on Sundays so that I can, I'm encouraged in my faith because of you. If you're here and you're the kind of person and you know you can't sing, sing louder. We want you to sing. We want to raise those voices. This is not about making it, you know professional and sounding polished. This is about raising our voices to glorify God and edify one another. It's why we put a lot of thought into putting these scriptures into our services, making sure we're, we're, we're bringing God's word, to, God's word to bear upon one another because we want to shine the light of the gospel into our dark lives. I have, for, for the most part, no idea what a lot of you have been walking through this week. Some of you have maybe had horrible weeks. Some of you maybe had fantastic weeks. Some of you have, are, are facing incredible pain or disappointment. Some of you are experiencing massive life change. We come to church on Sunday morning to shine the light of the gospel into one another's lives. And one of the things that I've seen us as a church be, we're getting good at, we're getting better at, is actually doing this practically with one another. I keep hearing stories here and there of, of someone saying, oh yeah, I was having this real, I had a horrible week and then someone just shared the gospel with me again on Sunday. Someone just said, I'm going to pray for you. I was, I, we're getting good at this and I want to encourage us as a church to continue to do this, continue to bring the gospel of the light of the glory of Jesus Christ to bear upon one another's lives. Keep telling each other the gospel, keep telling each other the good news. When someone comes to you and, say, and they tell, or in life group and they're, saying, they're sharing with you, or just, you're reading the Bible with them and they're sharing with you 
about a particular area of their life, that they are, a particular sin in their life that they are struggling to shake, they're struggling to, to let go of, and they are filled with shame, they are filled with guilt, and they, they're struggling to believe that God could ever love them. We can save them. Hey, hey, did you know that Jesus knows all about that sin and he hasn't recoiled? He doesn't, you don't irk him out. He, he actually comes to you. He leans in. He moves closer. He, his love doesn't hesitate towards you. And maybe someone's sharing about just, just an unmet expectation. They wanted life to go a certain way and, and it just didn't. Or maybe it's a massive life change. Maybe there's big things in their life that are huge for them. We can say, hey, hey, friend, hey, brother, hey, sister, God's not done with you yet. God, this, this, your story isn't finished yet. God is working on you to become more and more like Jesus. And, and did you know that, that God's grace is for you? And even though things haven't worked out for you here, God's plan for you is perfect. And maybe someone's sharing with you just how they're not really sure what's next, how their life feels directionless. We can say, brother, sister, we know that God is working through all things to make us more and more like him, more and more like his son. This is not wasted time. Friends, let's become experts on the gospel. Let's become experts on how the light of the glory of Jesus shines into our darkness, and let's shine that into one another's lives. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 